Um, wait a second. Let me let me intro us in, shall I? Welcome to Made Women with Chris Kushner and Dre DeMatteo and our very special guest today, Chris Collins, going to make for a very confusing fucking time between oh Chris and him. So, um, Chris, I know you don't want me to call you chicken. You can call me chicken. I can't call you chicken. Well, you know, I'm bird. Right? Like my nickname was always Bird when I was growing up as a kid. So if you just want to call me Bird for this episode, I'll call you Chicken and we'll call Chris Chris. Yeah. It's totally fine. That works for me, Uh, guys. Now, Chris, we, Chris said to me, what exactly did Chris do on The Sopranos? And I said, I don't fucking know. (laughs) I was the production coordinator. What is, yeah, that's why I was, yes. Schedules, contracts. Actually, I just disseminated the schedules, but contracts, flying everybody in, putting them in hotels, getting people to set, all of that nonsense. I called Tony Sirico's car service every single day for eight <laughs> years, that kind of thing. Um, all of that stuff, all the getting everything to there stuff. So you organized everything, basically. You're behind the scenes organizer. Yeah, there, you know, and it was weird back then because we'd fax people directions of the <gasps> first couple of seasons. Yes. After season three, Stevie Van Zandt calling me one day when he didn't get a fax to the bada bing. I was like, you've been going there for three years. <laughs> you missed one fax and you can't find your way. I yeah. can't. Chris, let's go back to faxing. I mean, yes, Chris. No, you're chicken. Oh, my God. All yeah. of us. Let's go oh back my to God. faxing. Let's all Bama asked me if she could get a fax machine. I was like, what in fucking God's name do you want a fax machine for? Because it's vintage. I know. Child. Yeah. Child They're vintage mine. now. Um, yeah. So, Chris, chicken, you must have some really good stories of people. Who is the biggest pain in the ass on the she, set? She wants to know oh. if it's me. I wasn't. <laughs> I re- it definitely was not you. Ah, she, he may not be able to answer certain questions. Um, he, there are certain things he may not be able to answer without implicating himself. What are you, his lawyer? Are you his lawyer? Um, he took an he took a fucking oath. <laughs> Just like in this episode, Isabella, where he says, "I took an oath, Carmela." Yes. Um, but, but go ahead, Chris, is there anything that you can share with us? I mean, I know you've been listening to our podcast. Yeah, I love, I love this show. I love it. I love it. Love it. But I know that you always have little bits of intel when you, after you hear the episodes, you'll write me and you'll say, well, this is the reason this happened. But without saying anyone's names, you don't have to say people's names because we're not pushing you for, for such information. But Here's uh, the thing though, and you can back me up on this. There weren't any pains that not in the core group there were no pains in the ass none i agree no prima donnas no men or women people who guest starred occasionally somebody would come in and would be like oh this person (laughs) thinks this it's like that here i know who you're talking about who guest starred was it on this episode no, no. This comes later. It comes later once the show was like really up and running. And then all of a sudden you'd have some divas come in and you're just like, uh, why are we being held up today? You know, and we were a well-oiled machine. No, nobody does that here. We had to replace somebody who will remain nameless. Oh, is that somebody in my world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Wait, so one of the <laughs> cast members had to be replaced because they were a little bit... Okay, well, yeah, came in... Um, I'm pretty sure 
she actually kept you waiting. That's not why that was one yeah. of the reasons. I didn't care. I could care less. No. Except she was in the car for two hours waiting for this person to come out. It was not you who did it, but as soon as everybody got word of that, it was, you know, the drivers, the Teamster drivers were calling us the whole time going, still not out. I know. I, but here's the thing. I was probably sitting in the car recovering from the night <laughs> before whatever she was still doing that morning. <laughs> Fine with me. I can sleep this off. Yeah. Do you like, yeah. So all you fans out there, you're going to have to do the math and try and put it together. But there wasn't, there was, um, there was somebody replaced and she's ha happens to be a very fa amazing actress. And I'm actually a big fan of hers, but that was, she wasn't really a squeaky wheel. Oh, there were other squeaky wheels that, that guest starred that were, that were different. This was just a, this was just a side note, but, um, notice how I'll never throw any of my people's. Um, under the bus but there were people that I didn't know that I heard I was like really that was the gossip on set that day like oh my god this person didn't come out of their trailer for how long because of what um you it know. got like that after a while season five six seven when there was a guest star and they thought they could come in and pull something and couldn't you know like we don't no. play them here no it's usually when the ones that got bust in from LA I guess yes oh yeah. we live in LA now there's nothing wrong with us LA New Jersey I'm sorry, slash. You're not from LA. You are a Jersey I know, girl. But I feel if like were, I. If no, you were on the Soprano set, this you'd be a balls home. to the wall bitch, and you probably wouldn't. You wouldn't be squeaking the wheels. I guess so, but I feel Ever. I'm. You know, I'm loyal to both both coasts. So there you go. Loyal, it's a, it's, a, it's um. It's an actress thing, an actor thing, though. The LA actors and the New York actors. That there are differences. There's no denying it. I mean, Chris works with them all. He he knows. Um, at least there used to be. I don't know about now because I don't know. Some actors just need to be seen. You know what I mean? They just need that like, oh, yes, right. You're important. We got it. Like me. I'm just kidding. Chris, oh, do you still, are you podcast. still in the business? What are you doing now? Yeah, um, I just finished a show with Edie, which uh, is not going to come back. I think it was a victim of COVID. She, uh, a show called Tommy. It's my third mm -hmm. show with Edie. I did Nurse Jackie with her. Oh, one of my favorite shows. The best. The so best. she was amazing in that. What a different role from Sopranos to, to Nurse Jackie, right? Yeah, she's fantastic. She's the best there is. The best. She just is. Um, and Merritt Weaver, who has gone on to... And Betty Gilpin. Oh, my God. I love her. I loved Merritt Weaver. That was her breakout role, right? Like, I haven't seen her... I haven't seen anything else yet. She just finished a show called Run on HBO, which I really liked. Really liked. Oh, she is the cutest thing ever. She was fantastic on Nurse Jackie. Um, were you still doing the same thing on that show? Were you still doing produ production coordinator? Yeah, then I moved up to like going to set every day and being the supervisor and all that other stuff. But Oh, you muy fancy now. Yeah. Muy, muy fancy. Whatever. Chicken. But okay. how, is Edie, how is Edie to work with? Is she just so easy and amazing gold standard she just is every single day there was not a missed day there was not she's never late never complains she's on her mark every morning like on time knowing the line a real pro a real yeah. pro i used to get nervous when i would have to work with her because you know mm -hmm. who's not a real pro oh please stop it no, um, if true. she does podcasts we need to get her on here because well i won't be on here if she's on here because i'd freak out She's going to hear this. She's going to hear me talking bad, uh, well about her behind her back. But um, mm -hmm. she's the best. Yeah, she's Amazing. the best. So 
should we go to how we start the show every day about our agita? We, well, we had some agita getting getting this show together today because today was my first day without my boyfriend running the show. I don't know for you guys out there, um, this podcast is mainly run by musicians because when this quarantine happened, we could not be in a room together, Chris and I, with our production team. We ended up at home with our boyfriends and husbands running the entire audio, video, light, all this stuff. So we don't know what we're doing. If Chris had to do this by herself, she would be lost. But I got left in the dirt a couple of weeks ago because my boyfriend's about to release his album. So he had to go do some work. And now my daughter, who's 12, my son, who's nine, they're both in charge of my audio. I had some crazy agita today besides... um what you guys know about Dave found a huge snake <gasps> in the backyard. No, oh, it's God. your worst fear. Dying. Like normally I hang out there with Frankie. I have these like a day bed out there. I just hang out. He said it was, it was huge. It wasn't a rattlesnake. Did he take pictures But it was of just it? like, no, because I was in here, I don't know, on a phone call or something. I think with you guys. And he was outside. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, don't ask. And he uh, didn't, he, uh, it was slithering away. He couldn't get it. I was like, did you kill it? He said, no. Why do you have snakes by your house? I am like in nowhere's land, like no, no man's land. I, I can't there, even speak. There was I a year. No snakes. There was a year where we'd walk down the street um, and every day there was a new dead snake in the middle of the street that a car okay. at night would run over. Who knows? I mean, I didn't think snakes, I don't know. Anyway, we're, I'm moving basically. So I'm selling my house, <laughs> going somewhere out else. Of your mind. Um, how how I, about you, Chris? Uh, I mean. What's your agita for the week? What's your agita, Chris? Phone calls. I just, I don't need to be on the phone all day. Every, I realize that everybody's trapped in the house and lonely. I, I, there's no reason to be on the phone all day still. All day. Uh, so you're just over I, all the phone calls. Yeah. I feel like I've For been me, on the phone that would all be day the too. Zoom calls. Yeah, that too. Why does everybody need to see each other? Just asking. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to put makeup on, but now I have tons yeah. of makeup on for this fucking light and this Zoom call. All right, Dre, oh, do you my want kidding. I, I always you... fucking put makeup on. Yeah, <laughs> you you sleep in your makeup. You, you know. Dre, you, you settled in or you want to move around a little more? Uh, I want to move around a little more. Jesus, I'm, you're making me dizzy. Let's let's do this. Let's get into this episode called Isabella. Um, chicken, you get to watch us act like assholes and do our the, the beginning of our show. I see you smiling because you know you listen to it all the time and you're like, oh, this is entertaining. Okay, good. Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Why do they call you chicken? I mean... The real story is boring, so I just made up another story. They both kind of involve Ginger. Um, oh, cool. The story that I tell everybody is that I used to go to Ginger's mom's house for arroz con pollo all the time, which is totally true. And it's also totally true that her mom has a chicken on the... I, I have my own um, Christmas ornament on Ginger's mom's tree of a chicken oh. with my name on it. Um, and that's where I tell people it came from. But really, Steve Buscemi had a guest on set one day named Chicken. And Ginger called and she was like, Steve's guest wants a car home. And I was like, all right, what's his name? And she was like, Chicken. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding. <laughs> she was like, no, he says his name's Chicken. I was like, well, from now on, that's my name. 
<laughs> I mean, why not? Chicken from that moment on. So, so, so wait a minute. You weren't chicken for the because Ginger, who I always mention on the show, and just for people who don't remember, Ginger was the was our production assistant who took care of all of the actors on the show. So she has the most gossip. She's living here with me because she was quarantined with me. So she didn't come into the show until season four, right, Chris? Yeah, three or four. So you, I never called you chicken until season four? Nope. I don't even remember being alive before season four. Oh, my God. <laughs> you were hanging on by a thread, Dre, I'm sure. Well, because I needed Ginger to remind me of my times. I don't remember anything. It was a haze, man. It's also a long time ago, and oh I might God. have smatterings of Alzheimer's like my mother and Livia. So I, I don't remember a lot of things. So Chris, if you remember anything, please feel free to remind us. Or I don't. Me. I don't remember. I think Noreen did first team season yes, one too. Yes, it right? was Noreen. Okay. Uh huh. Uh-huh. That I remember. But it didn't. It seemed like Ginger was with us the whole time. In my mind, Ginger was there the entire time. <laughs> I know. But it doesn't feel right without her. I can't wait till we get to season four so she can spill the beans on everything behind mm. the scenes. No kidding. <laughs> so, Chris, you're going you're gonna to stay with us for our rewatch. Yeah, sure. But before we do the rewatch, Chris, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, you had, there were a few things that you mentioned when you listened to this podcast of ours. There were a few like extra little bits of information that you had. What were the things that stood out that we discussed that you had information on without without naming names? Oh, damn. Uh, like you said that there was actually a snitch on set, which was the reason why they wrote two endings for me. Yes. And for at least a year, they wrote a false script for him just to make sure that it was definitely him. Oh, so the snitch was a, was a man... Yep. So that guy would get a script for half a season at least. Oh, so he was a cast member. Who was he snitching to? No, he wasn't a cast member. He was a crew member. And he would get a script, like if somebody got knocked off, if somebody got whacked, he would get a script with those scenes removed. Because he would often tell that person, like whoever the actor was, before David Chase got a chance. Ah, he wanted to be the guy with the information. Production always gets the scripts way before we do. But was he telling, was he he leaking stuff to the press as well? No, it was just to other actors. Oh, (laughs) he was just a a cacquiaron then. Why is that a big deal? Somebody who's on set for a day overhears him talking because shit's, remember the Daily News somehow got a hold of like a bunch of our scripts? Yes, the sides. They got sides, I thought, right? And everybody thought that was a day player actor. I think I know who it was, but I don't want to name oh, names. You guys there. are killing me. I know, it's killing, killing me. me too. We're getting on the phone after this shit, Chris. <laughs> I'm, yes, little three-way conference call. Remember who was giving those sides and telling people like, oh, I saw the next script. You're, you know, you're gone. Oh. David would <laughs> always want to make that phone call to people. But, yeah. you know, he didn't let him in a lot of ways. Oh, I'm and surprised I, they didn't the just way, fire him. I, me too. Well, I loved right? him. I, lo- I, I know who it is, and I loved him. And you know what's crazy about it is that this is someone who had to be um, actually involved in the production. It wasn't like it was easy to skirt around him because he was heavily involved. It, very integral. Like, it, it wasn't... Um, I can't even. Oh, this is juice. Some it's... good juice, people. We had a buzzer to get in the production office. Like, 
it was crazy. The level of secrecy and paranoia that was there. I'm surprised that he kept his job after it was yeah. when it really came to a head with, with you and when you were supposed to go. That's why they read, wrote those two scripts, one where Adriana's driving away and then, and that's what we shot with the main crew. It was a small skeleton crew that we shot the real ending with. That's a that's real right. good diversion, people. Yes, there was like, there was nobody there. Like, if this guy's talking, who else is talking? So the real crew thought that Adriana got away. I mean, I think they even thought that I was talking after a certain point because I took the other show, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. Crazy. Huh. We, we, had, to, we had to take an, an, an oath, an, an, a, a freaking an omerta. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, let's do let's, it. Should we get into episode number twelve? The uh, these are the this is this is the episode. These are the kind of episodes David David likes to. These are like almost the ending of the season episodes because then he kind of mellows out in the thirteenth usually, right? That's his way of doing things. Yep. All right. Previously <laughs> on the Sopranos, on episode eleven of the Sopranos, nobody knows anything. Despite mounting evidence, Tony is reluctant to believe that Big Pussy is an FBI informant. McKazian, humiliated after getting arrested at a brothel and living under the crushing weight of gambling debts, commits suicide by jumping off a bridge. When Jimmy Altieri is caught up in an FBI raid and is back on the streets, very quickly, Tony believes him to be the informant. Clearing Big Pussy, at least in his mind... I'm reading off my notes and I don't have the end of that part. So at least in his mind, (laughs) his mind's eye, I don't Um, know. Olivia is furious that Tony sold her home during her complaining to Junior. He decides it's time to make his move and has Mikey hire two hitmen to take Tony out. Chris, take it away with the episode recap. Episode 12 recap, Isabella. Tony becomes infatuated with a beautiful Italian woman who moves in next door only to discover that there's more or less um, to her than he first thought. Junior decides to make his move and has Mikey Palmisi hire two gunmen to assassinate Tony. Christopher inadvertently foils the first attempt on Tony's life, but the gunmen return and a vicious battle leaves one gunman dead. Tony in the hospital and Junior in need of a good story. Hmm. 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 First appearances. Uh. Oh my. Oh, you probably, Chris. You probably. I mean, Chicken. You probably had a deal with getting Maria Grazia Cucinotta. Thank God you said that. By the way, not me. Oh. Can you tell us anything about the most beautiful woman ever? I, I completely remember like it was yesterday, Noreen walking into the office and saying, you have to go down and see this woman. You have to go down and see this woman. Oh. Like she was a bronze statue or something and just stared at her. So She's beautiful. gorgeous. Yeah. Her first day there was the, um, the old Italian um, villa that they put her in, in that fantasy sequence. That was the mm-hmm. first thing they shot for the episode? Yeah, the first her first day at least because it was uh-huh. the whole. She came from Italy. We had to do the whole visa thing. It was like a last minute, back and forth with visa lawyers and everything else. But her first day was that day in the Italian villa, and I remember going downstairs and everybody was kind of like, "Do you remember we lived the day Muhammad Ali came?" No. What? No. Wow. Um, off story, but 
You can always go off story. Nobody could do anything. Any he came to and sat at the monitors to watch a screen, um, a scene, and no one could do a thing. Everybody just stared at him. People were taking pictures of him, and he whispered to his daughter, "I think we're interrupting things. Let's go." <gasps> he left, and oh. we all followed. I'm not kidding. All cast and crew walked out of the building onto the front, like right in front of Silver Cup as he got in a cab and left and everybody applauded like we were under some hypnosis or something. And then when the cab turned around, we we're like, what the fuck are we doing outside? <laughs> oh my God, I love it. You guys, Wait, why you guys... was he there? He came, he was friends with Michael somehow. Michael Imperioli? Yeah, they I knew each other somehow. This. And so Michael invited him, he was his guest and everybody lost their minds. Like that, but the, the closest I saw to that was Maria, who everybody was just standing around staring at her because there was nothing else to do. You know, like, what is, we don't even know what this creature is. She was the female Italian Muhammad Ali. (laughs) Yeah. She's gorgeous. Oh my God. Well, she was perfectly cast and she, beautiful. And yeah, we're going to get into what the title means. I guess we should, may as well get into what the title means right now. Um, Because the, the name Isabella, even though... I think it, I mean, the original name of Isabel in Hebrew, I believe is, um, it means God, like God under oath, or it's, it's got a, um, it's like a concept, it's like a pledge to God sort of thing. That's Isabel. And then if you add the Isabella, Bella is beauty. So I think there's like, um, there's like, a. I think, let me see, I have an actual, um, so Isabella me, was... is Elizabeth, Eliz, um, Elisheba is consecrated or pledged to God. So when Tony says later on in this episode, <clears throat> I took an oath, Carmela, um, there, I think that that is also a callback to the title, the name of the, the name of the title. Also, she represents beauty. She represents the Virgin Mother. She represents being nurtured. She represents all of, you know, purity, innocence, virginity, all of the things that, that, um, that his mother does not represent and what his world does not represent. Right. Yeah. So I think that is, Mm -hmm. yeah. So Isabella has a double meaning, which is an oath to God, which could mean the Omerta, which is an oath that Tony took to his family um, and beauty and purity. And that's it. So I'll stop there because you know, I'll talk too long. (laughs) No, Dre, please. No, I'm done. We want more, more about Isabella. Fuck you. Tell it in every language. Tell me what it (laughs) is. Oh, but sorry, chicken. Chicken. Just, I haven't, chicken. by the way, wait, chicken, I, I'm going to call you that because I feel like your family I now. feel terrible calling him chicken. I don't know why. Why? Oh, wait, should I not call you that? You're okay should with we, it? Can we call you Madonna? Sure. You have a Madonna shirt on. Can I just call you Madonna? <laughs> anyway, I haven't eaten in like five days. I'm cleansing, so I'm a little oh, crazy. You, we can't call him chicken. You're going to want to eat him. I'm starving. I'm trying to chew gum right now. I'm just doing a cleanse to be healthy because I've been eating like crap this whole quarantine. So whatever. All right. Funeral parlor. Let's go. Chris, did you uh, watch the episode? Yeah, I did. Awesome. And it's driving me since I rewatched it. I can't remember. And I remember everybody who was a regular Vincent. <laughs> when Junior says she gave me and Vincent Maniscalco hand jobs. <laughs> I know that name came from somebody on the back of the call sheet. I know it did. Oh, the Maniscalco? Yeah, they did that all the time. Anna Maniscalco was our casting, our extras casting person. So I think that's how it had to happen. They did that all the time. 
just take you know because it because it was a new york call sheet so let's just grab any italian's name off of so yeah. easy so easy i love it i love being from new york i love being an italian from oh. new york damn it that's one of my favorite junior lines it's what am too. i doing i'm at this woman's funeral oh yeah i know he caught I himself i love how he caught him he was like she gave us a head and then she caught him or not yeah that was Hand really jobs. good Hand um jobs. Yeah, he says the meetings are adjourned at Green Grove, and then the first, and then he goes right into that. Yeah. At the, oh, no, and it's, by the way, behind the chicken market. <laughs> the chicken market. It's behind the chicken market. It's my, she all gave roads. me my first hand job behind the chicken market. Do you know oh what a God. chicken all... market smells like? Behind your market. That's your fucking market, brother. All roads are leading back to you, chicken, and me being hungry. <laughs> and me being hungry. Yeah. Um... And then we go to the Bada Bing with Chris and Sylvia, right? And they're, ta they're yeah. talking about Tony's depression. Yeah. So when nope. you you know little identifications of 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 um, I mean everybody eventually starts to identify with his depression throughout the series, mm -hmm. right? Can you think um, of another portrayal of depression on TV before this like this? I can't. You know what was. I always think, and I forgot about it because I used to watch it a lot, but I used to watch that show Dream On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you oh remember God, that show? Yeah. Um, that was before The Sopranos, right? That was one of those sort of, and to me it was groundbreaking. <laughs> Oz was too. These were all bef before The Sopranos hit the air, right? Oz as well. Yeah. Um, and they were dealing with subjects of, es like, well, escape, jail, that's a whole other thing. And a lot, all of those characters were tortured and depressed. But um, in Dream On, was he dealing with any depression or was it mostly just escaping his reality? Escapism. That was kind of it. Right. Okay. It was looking at girls, imagining having sex with them, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember I it. Don't I have to go back. I want to go back and watch. But I, I was, I, I've never seen depression portrayed like that on TV before that. Like a full hour of him in, like, in his bathrobe, essentially, you know, no, with all those great. weird angles. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah, that was the first time they skew. They, they, well, is it the first time that they go crazy with camera angles for a hallucination in a dream? I mean, that wasn't a dream. It was a real hallucination. This wasn't. Oh, yeah. No, it was a pill induced, you know, lithium. I think, was it Prozac or it was lithium and uh, it's Prozac. It's lithium and Prozac. It was those yeah, two. I mean, that'll do it, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, and then, uh, Silvio, is it Silvio saying that Napoleon was a moody fuck too? Every great leader has something, he said. Yeah. And then you cut to Tony in bed and yes. he, um, I get he, my best friend pussy disappeared. Mm. Um, and then Carmela opens up that, that, um. Asking him if he needs sweat socks, by the way. That's, that's how, that's her first line. From, wait, she's going to the Paramus Mall. Do you know I used to hang out at the, that's, I'm Chris, I'm from Jersey. You worked there? I worked at Garden State Plaza. I worked at Sam Goody. Wait, are you from Jersey Damn too, it? Chris? Yeah. Chicken? Where? Chicken? Chris? Chicken? <laughs> where? Where in Jersey? Rutherford. Yep. Wayne and Montclair. And they, and where the newsstand was, was, um, supposedly in Montclair. I don't know where it was shot, but. They mentioned Montclair in this episode as well. Shot in Caldwell, I think. I don't know Jersey people. I know Queens. <laughs> I know where the White Castle is in Queens. Well, everyone's about it. <laughs> everyone thinks you're from Jersey anyway, so whatever. I know. Doesn't matter. Same shit. Queens. Um, I like. I like how um, Carm was like giving him shit. That's so. That's such an East Coast thing. Does your lady therapist know about this? You always got to sneak it in. 
She's still upset, right? The lady therapist. Uh-huh. She has to add the word lady in there, which is funny. Yeah. And then um, this is when um this is when that song kicks in, which we'll talk about later, Tiny Tears, but that um Tinder Sticks. That's a heavy song, man, and it was freaking awesome. But we'll get into that when we when we go into talking about the music at the <laughs> end of the recap um the going through the scenes. But um, that song, since I heard it, since I watched this episode, I have not stopped sharing it with people um, because it's such a good new find again. It's a great friggin' song. It really is. Right? It really is. And it does such so much of the heavy lifting for that episode. I'm like, putting you in his head, it's so great. It's so great. So good. I agree. Chicken and I were just talking about it before that this episode is not one of those episodes that you can really tear apart to pieces because it's really, um, it's very self-contained in its, in its, um, in its message. The messages aren't all over the place. Everything's very clear. Melfi spells out the hallucination. Mm-hmm. The hallucinations are crystal clear because they are, um, they're exactly what's, she, you know, she, you don't know it until the end of the episode when, if you're well, a first time watcher, but, um, but there's no hidden messages really going no on No hidden here. messages, but he's trying to trick you because at first when watching it, if you don't remember, you're thinking that this woman is real. I mean, that's the only thing that's yes. kind of a diversion, right? Honestly, I forgot. So when I watched Me it too. for the first, when I watched it for the first time this year, 20 years mm-hmm. later, I did. I wasn't sure. I wasn't I sure. I had. I did, I went back. Even though this was not one of the more difficult ones to tear apart and analyze, I still went back and watched certain scenes twice of this one, and I hadn't done that on other ones because there was so much intricate <clears throat> um, stuff happening story wise. But this one was pretty simple. Um, it was a little I mean, more visual for for the for the messages and and the music. Mm-hmm. Like Chris said, a lot of the heavy lifting definitely was in the music. I felt. Like yeah. lyrically, I mean, all the songs and stuff. Yeah, they do. They play that song twice at least. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they do an instrumental version of it too. And then I, you know, yeah, it's pretty awesome. But uh, and then I guess they uh, they go back to the funeral once he's in the shower, and that's when he uh, talks about his hand job and the chicken coop and blah 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 blah. And then Mikey reassures him, "Don't worry, he's going to have an open casket." Junior does not want to talk about it at all. Like, he wants to pretend this is not happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I think it's the wrong place. and the wrong, I, I think he knows it's happening, but he's like, I'm at a freaking funeral. And, the, and the, Mikey Palmisi is always just a little too eager and annoying, right? I love him. Me too. He's su- I, he plays such a, a good rat or snake. And just, you, I, you hate him on this show, though, you know? Al Sepkin brought a date to the production office on a Friday night once. This to show. Wait, what did he do? What he did he do? Brought a date to the production office on a Friday night because <laughs> I would often have to, if we were shooting out, like in Jersey, I'd be in the office, <laughs> like waiting for rap to fax out the call sheet. Um, and the door swings open. I was by myself. It's like midnight. He comes in with like Ooh. a lady on his arms. Like, yeah, babe, this is where I work. <laughs> Showing around. I'm like, hi. No, so, so, so he's kind of like his character. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. He's always smiling. Like he did. He uh, he did remind. But you know, David would pick up on people's innuendos and people's characters, right? A lot. Oh, for it. sure. Like and Tony all, Rico. Oh, hundred percent was. You know, that was Paulie. Yeah. So many of them. But, but not you, Dre. No, you know what, Chris? Now that I think, now that years have gone by, when I was playing that part, I didn't think I was anything like her. 
But mm-hmm. I think that this was a situation where life imitated art. I think I ended up falling into the Adriana pit to a certain degree towards the end of my um, my 40s. And now I'm sort of getting it back together again. We've discussed this before. Yes, we have. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Tony's Tony's kitchen. Are we in Tony? Where Chris reports to Tony that no one um, has heard anything about pussy. Yes. And Tony looks a mess. Is this where he's like in the robe and the white beater, all stained and looking haggard? Oh, and what does he say in that scene? That's the that's um. I don't know fun. nothing no more. Is that what you're? I don't to? know nothing no more. Which is a callback to the episode. <laughs> I don't know anything. Nobody knows anything. Of course, I was teasing in that episode that they should have called it Nobody Knows Nothing. Um, but now he finally says, I don't know nothing no more. So that's a callback to the last episode for sure. Um, it's um, cute how Chris is all worried about him. He's like, I'm going down to the basement or whatever he says. He thinks he's going to like go down there and hang himself or commit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he saves his life in this episode. He does. Yeah, yeah. and it certainly I mean, and he sees it, Chris being his little right-hand guy. He definitely sees it and feels... Well, he doesn't know. Tony never knows that he was actually there. Do you think... Oh, do you think... Oh, I mean, like, he's... No, no, no. I meant, like, he feels, when you're that close with somebody and seeing them go through a depression, he's feeling it. So he's worried, you know? And he's reacting to it. His own depression, too, and his his own existential angst and all his issues and his not being able to find his arc he identifies with tony's depression more than anybody yeah it's it's such good i love his his arc even after talking about his arc because what is it episode six or something when he says he's no mental midget yeah (laughs) i love that line you know and here he is like (laughs) three or four episodes later he's totally invested in tony and like in caring about him it's it's great i love that yeah that mental midget line i'm so guilty of using that on people that i've been mad at before (laughs) i'm glad i didn't get that one yet sorry (laughs) i've said that to a couple of people who were were emotionally um you know at a standstill anyhow um la dee da dee da well I, I was gonna say just relating we've all had friends and we've all been depressed from time to time and especially being outside of yourself and dealing with a friend going through it it's scary it's scary to yeah. think that what you know what they could do I mean I've had a couple of people in my life commit suicide and you know you just I don't know it's it's mind-blowing and you don't really know how to help or what they were going through. So, I mean, you know, seeing that and seeing Tony so depressed and Chris not knowing, I mean, he made the right move, obviously, by following him and protecting yeah. him. And lithium is, uh, lithium is no joke. That's, that's, no. A, that's, that's a heavy one. So that's, gonna, that's definitely going to send you into, into hallucinations and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you never really feel like Tony's depression is going to stay with him too long, though. You know, on on a yeah. show and on a show like this, because you know he's he's such a freaking fighter. Um, but anyhow, okay, so we end up in the yard, Cusimano's backyard, and the minute he walks through that floral arch, we know that he's in a fairy tale. Well, right? I didn't know. Right, you know, in Our, retrospect, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Hindsight. when you see that backyard later and there's no floral arch, but when you go, that's what I said, meant. Like, I went back and I actually looked at those scenes. I was like, 
holy shit so he walked through a, a like that thing was completely decorated in flowers i mean it, like, oh, it was what, and a, the clothesline of a disney like a, cartoon yeah it's like narnia or something it's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, all right, so where are we? We're at the where street are? on the streets of Tony's neighborhood, um, where Chris follows him. He follows him to the newsstand in Montclair, supposedly, where I'm half from. And the two hitmen spot him from across the street, which is kind of funny because they pull up and they're like, "We're the cop." They pretend to be the cops, right, to Christopher. Right. Which you would think would make Chris nervous anyway because he's in the mob. And if if he thinks that cops are following Tony... I love how, you know, I you... love how Christopher is this tiny guy and he just says to the guys, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. Like he has no... Like, he's... And this is why he was so sexy to me on the show. Like, he... I mean, yeah, it doesn't give a fuck. And that's, you know, why, you know actors playing parts and everything is it's always so appealing because you can do and say things you would never actually do in your real life um he just you know i'm protected by the tony soprano crew get the fuck out of my face um and just his delivery always man he's definitely one of my favorite actors on the planet but we all know that and then he says donuts no wonder why he can't lose weight (laughs) he's such a dick Um, his dialogue to himself is classic crazy And then he goes through that back door to Melfi's office and he's totally fucked. Um, And then we cut to Junior puking. Oh, that's right, because it didn't go through. It didn't go down. Out of his Lincoln Continental. And that's he's unraveling, right? We talk about Donnie. Chicken, who's Donnie? Why was. I barely remember him, to be honest. I barely remember that, that actor. Why, when I saw him, I thought to myself, he's hot. And he looks familiar. Because he had a Trans Am. <laughs> you loved his Trans Am, Jay. I thought he was hot. <laughs> he looks familiar to me. I think he's oh, every I don't person. Know I was like, did I, did I ever mess around with this guy? Yeah, you might this have. guy? <laughs> he's every person in New Jersey that I was, fr- every male person that I was friends with. I was like, he oh, looks he so was familiar. so cute, that guy. Oh, he must be in a band. I must know him from somewhere. Oh, God, stop. I'm such a hoe. You are. Um, anyway, so he but he says Junior's he, unraveling. He, well, he says to Junior, uh, no, he says to, to, to Mikey, Tony's own mother wants, you know, Tony's own mother wants him popped. Junior hears that shit and flips out, you know, that he's got a big mouth. Um, by the way, mouths, again, in this episode, I think also play a part in so far as what Isabella's... Um, why she's here, what her exchange student status is, and what she's studying. Right, Chris, what is it? T- tell us. She's a dental student. What is she studying? She's studying the um, the soft tissue, the tumors of the gums and soft tissue of the mouth. <laughs> but like, you know, that goes, Boca was two episodes before this. Yeah. And that's where it all started with Tony and, and Junior, in Boca. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. He said, what, what episode does he say cunnilingus and psychiatry brought us to this? Is that the next episode? Yeah. Oh, it's the next episode. Yeah. 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 So, and Jimmy Altieri being a rat, we're dealing yeah. with, um, Tony Soprano talking to a shrink. We're dealing with what else? What are the other junior and Livia talking shit to each other nonstop? Oh, uh, junior so eating pussy. Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, it's everything it's, surrounding the mouth. Yeah, the mouth everything is, is surrounding the mouth. 
didn't he have rats put in his mouth? Yes, he has the rat put in his mouth. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And she says, "Is this? So I I am here for dentistry and the soft tissue, uh, tumors of the gums and soft tissue of the mouth." <laughs> what a fantasy! Imagine. <laughs> Yeah. To imagine that woman and then to have that be her reason to be next door to you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and that's the thing. That's how you know it's a hallucination, too, is that everything she talks about is stuff that he knows. It's not they don't know. Like he, he doesn't know. They, they every everything is, you know, they have it has to be coming out of his mind. So it's all stuff that he like being a stonemason. Yeah. So. This is his hallucination. It's it's um you know Carmela saying I'll chop your I should chop your fucking dick off. That's part you of his hallucination. You piece of shit. You piece of shit. I love it. Spoken like a true Jersey wife. It was a distant memory for me. Oh my, oh god. my god. So okay, then so we go to Mel. We? Where are we? We go to Melfi's office. Best line. Was this the one? No, no. He said this shit. I don't feel nothing. The one that you said dead. I feel empty. He unloads yeah, on Melfi. Yeah, and um, I he this is the favorite line. I'm not a husband to my wife. I'm not a husband to my wife. Not a father to my kids. Not a friend to my friends. I'm nothing. It's, it's a big one. That's a, it. I mean, that a, that's that kind of sums up the series a lot yeah. of the time. He always they there's always lines that sum up the series, and they and they 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 usually sound as bleak as that, as that. I mean, he's broken. He's a broken man right now. He's bottom of the barrel. Yeah, he says, I'm King Midas in reverse. Everything I touch turns to shit. Shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Ma- but, Malfi automatically wants him to go to a hi- hospital, right? Fearing that he's yeah, suicidal. That's one of my favorite moments, actually. Chris, you know this uh, chicken. This is like such a, such a Jim-ism and Tony Soprano-ism when she says to him, maybe you need to go somewhere to rest. And then you see his humor pop in because there's no humor in this episode up until he gets shot. Um, he goes, "You mean like Vegas?" <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden I mean, his face his face lights up and he's like, "You mean like Vegas?" <laughs> She's like, "No, a hospital." <laughs> oh my god, I love it. But um, so so then we go to the pharmacy where Tony runs into Isabella. Is this where the um, lunch starts, where he asks her? Yeah, he takes her lunch. Well, I think, uh, I mean, the first thing to notice in that scene is how the drugstore clearly is not some little drugstore in the middle of um, Jersey. It looks like it's dated back to the 1900s with all of that vintage antique stuff in the window. Um, It almost looks like he's already in Italy with her from from the pharmacy to the to the restaurant. um, The restaurant had like a very European and very old timey feeling. I feel like it was shot with like a sepia tone too, right? A heavier sepia tone, maybe or maybe It, it had a glow. It had a filter for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it was right. Does not look like any other place they show in Jersey at all. No, no, and I think it's it does. I, I could be wrong about this, but um, it might say 1907 on the thing. The chemist since 1907 or something, and then he mentions 1907 in Melfi's <clears throat> office. I could be making this up in my mind because I often do these things, but I I think there is a. And then he go when he says, you know, I was back in like 1907 when she starts telling that story in the restaurant. 
yeah. um, about the lemon trees and the the church bell and the church bell rings when a baby is born. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and she's also talking about um, how a foundation was cracked and how a stonemason rebuilt it. And that's the opposite of what goes on in his in his in his in our country in our world every nothing is being repaired and i think that we were even we were even dealing with that you know back when this show was being being made i think we're dealing with that in society right now um you know just how things are broken and how very little attention is given to really really trying to fix things so the stonemason and fixing stuff and i think that even later on in the series he does he am i crazy chris because chicken um does he not dream that he's a stonemason his father um, was his grandfather he, he takes meadow to show her the church that his yeah. father helped build no. as a stonemason that well, was i don't know early, if it was his was father in season one right i don't know if it was father or his, his grandfather people, his grandfather, his grandfather. And, and like his his and their ancestors yeah his yeah their family but i think yeah he puts focus though there's a little bit you know the writers put focus on on things being built and Tony, you know, I think that he doesn't. It's also essentially what he's doing with his mom is he's rebuilding his mom right now. Like Livia is always talking about, she has that recurring thing where she's talking about mothers who chill, who kill their children. Filicide. Yeah, exactly. Nonstop. Isabella talking about the birth of children. Like he's recreating his mother right there. Even in this dream, in his fantasy sequence, he's, you know, dreaming of this relationship is, I mean, her nursing this child is the purest form of a relationship between a mother and a, a, a son. And the, the son's name, I think, came out that it was Antonio, right? It was him. Yeah, she says, it's got, got, going to be okay, Antonio. Or she, or he yeah. tells Melfi that, that she kept saying, it's going to be okay, little baby. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Everything will be okay. He does say the name Antonio, and I was like, wow, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Because everything in his life is not okay with his mother, and that's that's what he's longing for, that relationship, that support that he never had. And then, boom, we cut to the Soprano home with that crazy pathological uh, bitch, Livia, at the dinner table. Yeah, Meadow. I love that cut, because it goes, it's, it's like so fairy and fantasy, and then Meadow, I think it's like a first scene of her screaming. Dad. It's dinner time. Dinner Dad, time. It's dinner time. Yeah, he's <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, and then that's where that and there's Livia talking about. Uh, well, the whole world's gone crazy. A woman in Pennsylvania <laughs> shot her three children and set a house on fire. And then she says after that, and what's he got to be depressed about? Really? The whole fucking world's gone crazy. I think we're all fucking depressed today in our own space in this in the, in the times that we're in. Yeah. That's a, a good, this is the, the beginning of Livia. But she doesn't want to admit what she's done. And she's just, I mean, a complete denial. But I don't think that, uh, yeah. The, the, I mean, the way the writers also keep it in the dark, so to speak, it's, <clears> um, it's, it's such a, it's, fi it's really finely orchestrated to where we never really quite know what is going on in her mind, whether she's, you know, you just kind of never know. It's it is like the black and white um, ending of the story. Um, David does this all the time. The writers do it all the time. You kind of, it's up to us to figure out what story we want to hear or tell. Even though mm -hmm. the information becomes evident, it's still not totally um, defined. 
right? Even in episode 13. Like, you still don't 100% know. Because you don't want to believe it. Who wants to believe believe that their mother doesn't love them? The one thing that is clear is she's always playing the victim. Always. Oh, yeah. Always. I mean, I love when she says never. I'm. She's pissed at Tony because he t- had a tantrum and he took off. And then she's saying, I'm never coming back to this house. But meanwhile, she's like shoveling food. <laughs> yeah. I'm never coming back. A napkin on her eye, shoveling food in. <laughs> and she's never coming back because she's the wrong one, even though she's. Yeah. yeah. And then AJ, was like that. AJ calls her out. He's like, I thought it was a joke. Why are you crying? But, um, Chicken, can you tell us anything about Nancy Marchand? Oh. She was great. Um, what can I tell you? I knew this is a little dark, but she knew when she was dying and she told David she wanted to work right up to she died. And she told him to write her death into the show because she said it's coming. Yeah, I remember Spoiler. hearing that. And she, you know, she'd be on oxygen. Like Julie, do you remember Julie Ross, David's old assistant? She would be standing right there with her oxygen and she would do that between especially in the second season chris i would go over to her no no i was sitting on a park bench smoking a cigarette in between takes i don't know if it was a funeral i don't know where we were were shooting but for some reason she and i were on set together and we never were and um she came and sat next to me so i put my cigarette out and she goes no 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 no," because she had a big fucking oxygen tank she said don't do it I go, why? She goes, I love the way it smells. What and did said, she have? She had, emph- she had emphysema, right? Yeah. From smoking. Yep. Totally. And she wanted Jesus. to smell my cigarette. I was like, what if you explode? What if we both explode? You have an oxygen tank. Were you at her memorial when she died? They had a big memorial at one of the churches in, uh, I'm sorry, one of the um, theaters on Broadway. And like people who knew her for, 70 you know years got up and talked about like doing their first play with her. wow she was amazing she was amazing what a great actress completely unlike her character oh completely at I first mean, wow. I, at first when she was cast because i come from such an insane italian family i was on when i watched i was like wait a minute this is gonna take me a minute to get used to this she's a different kind of an italian mom I mean, she, first of all, she was written differently based on the um, how narcissistic she was. But then again, not different from my family, which is so different from other Italian families because most Italian families are not, the moms are not like that. They, they fawn over their sons. Um, I had a grandma, my grandmother was like that, but she, and she fawned over her son, but not over her daughter. Um, so it was a, like, a you know, my grandmother was Livia Soprano to a huge degree. Um, which is why my mom loved the show so much. But um, it was it was hard to see such a big um, kind of to me. What was the what is the word I'm looking for? She was so um, American to me. Like she didn't have the. She was so white, you know, very waspy. That's what I'm looking for. The friggin' word wasp. I couldn't think of it, and that's what I felt like. I was like, how am I gonna digest this? Like maybe she's like a Rhode Island Italian or. A, like a Boston Italian. She's a Wayne, New Jersey like Italian. Real... That's who I feel like I grew up with. So, yeah, but her accent was a little different. She was a mayonnaiser, ish. No, she was. <laughs> she had she she got down with the Italianisms, yeah. man. She she learned that role. She really owned it. She ended up crushing it, and it was amazing. she was amazing. By the way, I'd like to take a minute out to um, talk about our sponsor, Chris. I have to talk about something that's really important to, to me. 
I have been wearing these underwear, okay? They're called Proof. They are period panties. I just want to say something really important. Do you know, I had a new boyfriend, Robbie. He was my new boyfriend for a minute. He's not my new boyfriend now, but I would get in bed with him every night when I had my period with my big grandma panties and winged maxi pads. So the maxi pads like fucking actually stuck to the outside of my panties. And then he spoons me and that's what he's got to deal with. And I'm like, I'm really embarrassed. I feel like I have a diaper on. And you're trying not to act like you're wearing Depends to bed, okay? And that you're like, but this is really just that I'm bleeding so much that I have to wear this fucking winged underwear on. And then he spoons you. And I'm like, is that rubbing against your thigh? Now, when I go to bed at night, my boyfriend still wants to fool around. And I'm like, eh, eh, I am wearing period panties. These may look sexy to you. You may think these are the hottest fucking things you've ever seen. But don't fucking touch me because I'm on the rag, man. Okay. <laughs> Maybe With there's your no wings. Proof underwear. Yeah, maybe there's no wings. So anyway, this message is for all the men out there and the women out there. Men, if you're sick and tired of seeing your women get in bed with those winged panties, with the wings and the diapers and the things hanging off their old lady grandma underwear that they have to wear big underwear to fit the big maxi pad, buy them a pair of proof panties and say from now on, honey, when you have your period, do me a favor, put these goddamn panties on. Do not come into bed with one of those white wings sticking out of your bukyak. Anyway, that's my what? advice to all the men and the women out there. Who well, it's got a, it's got a patent in it. It's called Leak Lock, and nothing comes. I don't. I honestly don't know where anything goes in these underwear because they're so, <laughs> and, and they're all natural. Magic. So uh, it's magic. It really is magic, and I honestly don't really mind getting my period anymore. Usually, I'm really bummed out about it, but with these pants, and I've tried other. Um, period panties this is a different situation this is a whole this is a game changer they're comfortable um, so proof Absolutely. panties all right guys that's all i have to say so anyways um, all right, where are we so where when tony's we? bedroom carmella catches tony staring at isabella you fucking piece of shit um you, we oh, talked about that dream. she's back into the hallucination and she's wearing yeah she, is this when she's wearing that blue suit the blue suit yeah she's wearing a blue suit i was i, like I was when struck she said, by that blue suit you were? Why? Yeah, I don't know why. And it just, it, I, I couldn't get it out of, I, I was like, what is, why am I so struck by this? She, the way it was lit and her blue suit, there was this royalty. It looked like she was dressed like the queen. No. I don't know why. I don't, and I, I don't know where this is coming from and what I'm trying to even say here. I might not be saying anything at all, but I was definitely, um, I, like I wanted to talk to that costumer. Because it wasn't the same. Co- it wasn't Juliet. This was a different costumer. Do you remember who the costumer was? The the costume designer was Ginger, and I were looking at it last night. A different person. Oh, I don't. I actually didn't even realize it wasn't Juliet. Yeah, it was before Juliet. You know how I know that this whole season's before Juliet because they never put me in a fucking bra throughout the entire season. <laughs> season. I mean, the first season, and I don't like that. So I must have been bullied into that. And then by season two, I was like, I have my balls now. Put me in a bra. You're like, I want, I want support, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Now I can speak up. I'm not so shy. Can I have a um, bra, please? Now we're at the movie theater. This the is movie another theater. strange. Is it's it another though? strange one. It's, it's I mean, strange to me. Is the, the wind. I totally agree. The wind throughout the whole episode. The wind throughout the whole episode was unsettling, right? Yeah. But Chicken, why, do you, why did you find that scene weird? Because I definitely... Uh, the wind is weird, but also they're 
they're and I don't want to. It's not about their performance, but the whole thing felt rushed. The whole like she's there. I realized the whole part of the scene is they're they're talking about different things at the same time. Like Junior's completely in denial. Like oh, some price we shouldn't pay more than that to get into a matinee. But it just felt like three dollars, three dollars. Did you see the sign behind it? It said matinee three dollars. Hi. But like that seems like for me, and I love Alan Coulter, but that seems felt rushed through. Like it should have breathed a little more and you should have sat with them in their uncomfortability, you know, because mm-hmm. they were both in denial about what they just did and the whole, they're distracting themselves, but it, it didn't work for me because it felt rushed. It felt like it, it, they didn't let the scene breathe. That, you know, I think what struck me even more than the scene feeling rushed was that it was such an unusual setting for them. Yeah. Um, to be at a movie together, um, to be going to a matinee. There was something old-timey feeling about it, the hat rustling down the street. I think it might have been paying an homage to another film. Yeah. And also, I'm almost positive that that was shot outside Silver Cup against the wall because you don't see any on Claire, you don't see anything. You don't see a movie theater. You just see the wall with matinee written on it. I think that was a last-minute addition. That's what I think, personally, going back. I don't remember it, but I, that's what I think. Oh, I have to ask Ginger to ask Kristen. Kristen was the, Kristen was the, the um, well, she, she was the AD back then, right? Now she's a UPM, but she was the AD back then. Um, yeah, when, they say that their, their exchange, though, is important. I mean, these kids barely have a father. Kiki looked just like my, just like my, look, look just like my son after his, uh, after his lobotomy. lobotomy. Better he should have died then go on living like that. And then Junior says, don't talk about that, it's done. So you never know if they know what each other is even fucking talking, talking about. about. Yeah. Um, so the scene is confusing just the way the scene is confusing in terms of where they are, the unsettling wind, um, is the wind indicative of the winds of change? Is it indicative of... Um, an unrest, is it foreshadowing for episode 13 where the tree falls down at the very end of the episode? Like there's a lot of, a lot of, tr- a lot of um, trees rustling throughout this episode. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of that going on. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a, uh, and then they were back with Tony in bed. Back tiny to tiny, tears. Tiny tears again. <laughs> Yep. And he's wasted this time. That and shot is great. Is that the one that's sideways and he's like this on the bed and then it's like, it's, yeah. it's a long and that, shot, and it, right? It cuts right into that when when Junior says, don't talk about, don't talk about it anymore. It's done. Uh, meaning that Tony's dead. And now you see Tony in bed and he's clearly fucking dead. He feels yeah. nothing. I feel dead inside, uh, you know. Um the maid comes in, reminds him of his appointment. Um, Isabella's gone. Is there? Is uh, he doesn't see her, right? He just sees um, the trees and the wind. Is that right there? I think so. I don't think we see her there. I think it's just that one tree rustling in the wind. Yeah. Um, and then we're at the newsstand again. So her being gone is like hope being gone. Also, the mm-hmm. the innocence being gone, and then boom, the newsstand, and that is that's that's a that's a big moment. He gets yeah. a, he gets his OJ and the OJ takes the hit. I think that is an homage to. Can you guys guess what that might be an homage to? Is it Godfather? Huh? Got to be an old gangster movie. Godfather. Hundred oh, percent. Yes, Godfather. Go, go, go. Godfather, where he's he's buying oranges. Yes. Like ah, yes, yes. 
Yes, nice. Yes, my yes, Italian yes. sister. Wait, look at me. My Sounds Italian like this sister. This is because we play charades all the time. No, and fuck you. I don't it. play charades. I'm too shy for charades. You give the. You give the. You just did. You give the movie, and everybody else has acted out. So I, I just felt your energy. That's Connected. such an epic scene. But can we just talk about The Godfather for one minute? When he gets shot after he has his bag of oranges, the way Brando <laughs> fucking falls off that car and the way, the, how dramatic it was. I mean, it was just so dramatic. Anyway, yeah. okay, we can move on. <laughs> um, Back to this. Yeah. So the two hitmen attack, two gunshots, right? Yeah. And the, and the way, the way Tony, the way Jim, Chris, um, Chicken, you remember, the way he plays plays the scene out with his sense of humor like immediately his sense of humor comes back the minute he defeats his murderer that laugh his will his will to live comes back his sense of humor comes back it's all back the hallucination is 100 percent over yeah he needed that it kind of snapped him out of his funk right yeah, sometimes we all need to have our lives fucking threatened for us to realize how important it really is. I mean, let me tell you, a brush with de- with death will definitely do that. You know, Chris. I know. I had mine, and let me tell you something. It makes everything in life more brighter, and um, you pre- you prioritize. So he's just happy to be alive now. Yeah, um, this, this episode, though, I can't believe how self-explanatory it really actually is and how... How, um, I mean, they're in the hospital and I mean, the kids are sitting under a sign that says, what is it? What does the sign say? It says, um, I don't know. I didn't notice Save, fam- uh, save families. Um, everyone needs one. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Did you notice that? And that's deliberate, obviously from props. Um, and it's clear that, you know, Tony Soprano is never going to be safe, not even from his own mother, because she is someone who is assist. You know, she she will commit suicide. <laughs> she not give a shit. She is putting a hit on her son. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that, com- that going back into the actual room where they are and Tony continuously trying to evade the reality of what happened so that Carmela's not implicated, even though he knows Carmela knows. So the kids aren't implicated and keep saying it was a car hijacking. It was a car hijacking, but it, it was an, an assassination attempt. And Well, he um, sees how scared AJ is, too. I mean, AJ's look when he's like leaning over on the side to try to see him. He's scared, too. I love the way Meadow protects him a little bit in I this know. episode. She's like, no, brother. she's... You know, they have that brother-sister thing where they want to kill each other most of the time, like my kids. But they definitely, she definitely goes into protective, you know, yeah. mode. But um, this is where Tony says, I took an oath, Carmela. She's kind of looking at that other life, saying, this could be our new start, feeling that. And he's like, no, this is not. What are we going to do? He starts making fun of it. What does he say? Um, he says, you want to eat to me? What does he Wait, say, What Craig? were you going to say, Chicken? Mr. and Mrs. Mike Smith. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> My, my favorite line is, you want to eat tomatoes that have no taste? <laughs> I didn't I even catch mean, that. That says it all. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I took an oath, Carmela. And again, I think that that might have something to do with, with the title slightly. I mentioned that earlier. Um, but she says to him, what are you, a fucking kid in a treehouse? <laughs> you know, yeah. I took an oath. And, and it's true when you think about a that. A kid in a treehouse. Gangs. House. And what the fuck? And she says, the kids need a father, Tony. 
And he I didn't, says, I didn't put that together. The kid in the treehouse, like you know, when you like beat your like yes. blood sisters or brothers, and you're like, I'm gonna poke my in the treehouse. It's awesome. She's just she's such a way to like poke at the you know the grandeur of like what they think is the grandeur of the mob yes. and everything. Yeah, you're in the treehouse. It's your little boys club. I love the way she talks to him. But it's like Livia. I mean, if you really look at it, the reason why he sees this beautiful Italian woman as this in in, in all of this white glory is Carmela is is not nurturing. I mean, she even mentions that she and I bathed you and I do this and I do this. But you don't see her do any of these things in this episode. Um, he's kind of a mess in the episode. She just keeps running out to buy AJ a suit for his formal. Or or new um, socks for Tony. From Paramus Mall. Where Chris where Chick where Chris worked. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I just hung out. I was the mall rat. I probably saw you and I was like, What's up? I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> so then we're at Green Grove back with well, Junior no, no, and Olivia. Wait, well, hold on. He says to her he what? says to her in the end, I think that's really important, the kids have one. Me oh, yeah. and all that comes with it. And um, and that's a big moment. That's like a moment of acceptance. Like everyone mm-hmm. is going to need to fucking accept this. That yeah. this is who. And then you cut to the kids under the safe family sign. And AJ says, I don't believe it was a carjacking. Um, and you're realizing that his own mother tried to have him killed. So no families are safe. Safe families. Everyone needs one. Forget about these kids. These kids will nope. never be safe. Tony Soprano will never be safe. Um, and then you cut to Green Grove and these two assholes watching them on TV. And she's like, is this true? How could this happen? My my only son was almost murdered, right? She's, I mean, do you guys think that she was bullshitting? Or do you really believe that she didn't know what Junior was planning? You double, double cross. She just wants plausible deniability. She's just looking out for herself. She doesn't give a shit. She's like, that guy, I don't know what he did. I don't know what Junior did. Yeah. Junior goes, do you understand what's going on here, Olivia? (laughs) I'm sorry, can I just play out the whole show? He's great. Um, She's pretending to be the worried mom, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, and then you cut to the Soprano house and boom, it is back to motherfucking business. They are back to business. Tony Soprano is Tony Soprano. Chris comes in with that freaking hat. The what hat. was the hat about, anyways? That's the hat you wear at the Jersey Shore. You're right. But was yeah. it a, was it a was it is it a is it foreshadowing for fishing and pussy and fish? And that was the only thing I could think of, right? Like yeah, because it's it's a str- it was a strange choice. So strange. <laughs> it yeah. had hooks. It had hooks hanging from it. I mean. Definitely. I mean, in the next Silvio says, who do we blame for that? <laughs> yeah. And then in the next episode, doesn't he um doesn't to- who is it Tony? Who kills Mikey? He pulls the Yeah, it's in the Stugats. It's um Who pulls the gun? He pulls the gun out of the fish, right? You can't that's a spoiler. That's a oh, major spoiler. No. The, one There's of the some young people, people are talking. Uh-uh. There's some young people watching our show, the show. For the Chris, first time. Well, I know well, that, our, uh, that the bulk of our fans are in their 20s. Here's the deal. My character is dead. Okay? Just shut we're, up. No, 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 shut no, no, no. Up. I'm not going to shut up. Because it, we're, we can't seat. concentrate on seat. spoilers. We can't. It's impossible oh, to tell. There's so to do many new good, people. We can't analyze the show properly. I care about the new people. I care it's, about the it's new not people. About, it's, but, it's, but people are going to listen, watch the whole show, and then they're going to go to the podcast and rewatch the show. That's how Trey, I will fight you on this to the end 
anyway, I just did. Um, I just got a message from from these kids that are that are quarantining far apart. And their their big goal right now is to get back together um, in the same house, rewatch the show with our Aww. podcast. And they're they're like new lovers that just met. I know. It's my favorite thing ever. That is anyway, nice. I know. I do these cameo things lately, and they and most of the fans that want the cameo shout outs are kids. They're all kids. Wow. They're twenty four. Can you can you do something for their twenty fourth birthday, twenty fifth birthday, twenty sixth birthday? I'm like, oh my god, yeah. And all those kids, twenty year resurgence anyway, but quarantine definitely helped. Yeah, them. all those Big kids time. don't know that you've they don't know that you've died yet either on they the do, show. Chris. No, they, they don't. Know. I'm telling you. All right. They know. Okay, Let's anyway. Back, into the soprano back to house. the home. Huh? Are we in the Soprano house that, again? By the way, that shot, um, chicken in the living room of the boys when they're when they're standing there. And it's Tony Soprano, Silvio. Um, yeah, they're Sorry, standing behind no. him. Yeah, that's, that's, wasn't that a famous picture that was used for a lot of publicity throughout the, that year? I lo- that picture is iconic. It took me down memory lane when I saw it. Yeah, totally. That was season one publicity where we didn't have a photographer on set every day so right i love that picture but sylvia says it had yes and she says do you better take care of him and then he says uh you had to be uh, it had to be your uncle um because you're the boss behind his back yeah and then then they totally make fun of him but even the show's sense of humor comes back in this scene i mean livia even though she's this evil fuck she comes in and she goes your ear is disfigured. She goes, can, can he-, he hear? Well, then she turns to um, Carm. Can he hear out of that ear still? I, know. I love when she says I that. Lo- and then I love the shot when they were accusing Junior um, of, of being, you know, calling the hit. And then you pan to the bar and it's still crazy. And they're all like drinking and like kind of looking at him like making oh, fun yeah. of him. Oh, yeah. Total paranoia. Um, so good. And, and this then, is where. Um, no, go. No, where Livia pretends not to recognize Meadow. That's where it begins. Right. And Junior notices it. I mean, she with the gabagool. She she gets it going on the gabagool. Yeah. And I still, you know, I'm still watching the show. Like I haven't gotten, I, I haven't gone farther. So I really can't spoil things for people. I've only watched up to 13, Chris. I'm not even in season two Good. yet. I don't even know what I'm happens I'm going to put a block two, on your... But, um, I'm still, you know, I'm still analyzing her dementia and her manipulation to see where it's going because I still don't 100% know. Boom. And then uh, who is Meadow? Mm -mm. Junior's face? Junior gets that right there. Oh, I'm being hung out to dry. She is not. She's not taking the fall with me if this goes down. No. Amazing. She is so, she is such a queen. Yeah. She's Um, really pulling the strings. And then it's gr- we're in Melfi's car. Yes. You know, it surprised me that she would even take a meeting like that. She's such a, she's so uptight and professional. The fact that she met with him, he just had a hit put on him in a car. I just, that, I she didn't believe him. that. You feel, you feel Melfi's love for him when she laughs at his jokes. I didn't believe um, it though. Yeah, there. It's TV, you know. It is TV. No. It's TV. But he probably convinced her that was the safest way to go about stuff. But at the same time, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't show up for that. No. I mean, I might, but Melfi and who she's been painted to be, I don't believe that she would have. I think she would have said, 
you know, I'm sorry, Tony, meet me at the office when you can, or, you know, let's and make he an appointment. Th- he's, he's threatened her so many times now over the mother issues. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly over the mother issues. Yeah. It's always been over the mother issues. Yeah. And this looked like a first date in a way, in that they're in the car and it's dark. Totally. And the way Carmela eyeballs him, her. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But um, I love... She, well, she already suspects Livia in the car. Melfi, um, she's already she's already put all these pieces together. But uh, he doesn't want to hear it. I mean, he even... What does he say to her? He says something to her, like, don't fucking start. You, you've been... He said something about... He says she's gone crazy. He said, my mother can't even deal with it. She's going crazy. Because he's believing that his mother, from hearing him, like, Cares about Mom. him. Yeah. He's... Well, he wants to believe that. Yeah. I won't spoil next next episode. Thank you, Dre. I love you so okay. much. Thank you. Anyway, but yes. Yeah, so that whole, like, who's Meadow thing, I think, worked on Tony. Or at least he's choosing to believe it. So that he can have that mother figure a little well, this bit is more. where he this is where he tells um melfi about his hallucination well it wasn't hallu- uh, it, it wasn't well no was he he tells her about the lunch yeah he doesn't he doesn't know Isabella. he was hallucinating it so he tells melfi in the car that he had lunch with this girl right no he was he was fantasizing so he tells her he go, he says i went to lunch with this woman isabella she starts mm-hmm. telling me about the old country and i started having this like fantasy right of that what part. that would look like he was having a fantasy within the fantasy yeah wow yeah. yeah and then she that's when she starts getting like maternal freudian with him about what that represented and then we're in the limo with aj silvio <laughs> and paulie smoking a cigarette in the back seat <laughs> so good i mean uh, do we I feel do like, kids i feel like that's my that was my life growing up in the back of the limo <laughs> I think it was. Do kids still get stretch limos? Is that a thing? Is stretch limos still a thing? I don't think so. Have I ever told you guys the story that I was always driven to school in a stretch limo when I was a kid? It's so crazy. I know you said you grew up in the back of a limo. I grew up in the back of a limo. We didn't really come from a lot of money, but my dad, you know, grew up in that world to a degree but left it and became a businessman and made a decent amount of money to where he we would be considered maybe upper middle class during good times and um yeah we he bought a limo that he kept in the driveway along with his like four other Cadillacs and Lincolns <laughs> it looked like we were running a fucking car service and sometimes he'd come in the bedroom and say um come on let's go to the 7-Eleven and get an Entenmann's cake and I'd be like all right and I'd go to get in one of the Cadillacs <sighs> and he'd go fuck that let's take the limo You're killing me and he would put he would put his he'd put the, the chauffeur's cap on and drive me in the limo to Aww. go get the cake. I was like, you're going to drive this fucking tank of a car. But we had a limo because my father was so dirt poor when he was a kid that he like he liked being driven around in the goddamn limo in the 80s. I mean, who did, who didn't want to be driven around in a fucking limo in the 80s? <laughs> Can you not say the word cake anymore right now? I'm starving. Oh, you is that what Entenmann? it was? Entenmann's yeah, it was a cake. nice, nice Entenmann's Devil's Food Cake or the Banana Crunch Cake. I, mm. oh, I hate you. The Banana Crunch Cake in the refrigerator? Mad on. Nice and cold and everything gets hard on it. Come on. Mad on. <laughs> yeah, so I used to go to school in a freaking limo every day. I'd have them park the limo down the street because I was embarrassed that I would have to get out of that freaking limo in front of my school. And then 
the second day of school, the limo is sitting in front of my in front of the school, and I say to the driver, "What the fuck are you doing? You know I don't want this here." And five of the seniors fall out of the back seat of the car, hammered and stoned in a cloud of smoke. I was like, <laughs> "I see, I see what's going on." So I guess I'll be popular with the twelfth graders now. Yeah. So that's They're my like, this limo girl story. goes to school in a limo. I mean. Jesus. Amazing that I will find the tiniest scene in the entire show of The Sopranos <laughs> and find a way to relate to it in a completely non-related, who gives a fuck <laughs> kind of way. Now we're at the Green Grove. Hello. Yeah. Oh and God. Junior is fucking pissed. And Livia says, you don't knock. I could have been in the nude. Oh, nude. It's like an outfit. In the nude is an outfit that she's going to put on. I could have been in the nude. <laughs> it's an outfit. <laughs> She would put on her unzip her her fucking naked old lady suit. Her her skin suit, her old lady skin suit. <laughs> oh, oh my god. god! So that's when he's um, she's looking for his slippers. She go he goes fuck the slipper, <laughs> fuck the slipper. <laughs> I love that. Um, and he's saying it's ha- it's very convenient with her memory loss. He's pissed. He goes terrific timing right after the move on your son goes in the toilet. Yeah, I need his glasses to do these podcasts. I'm gonna order that, new glasses. Can you order those, please? Yeah, I need new glasses for this shit. Carmela's parents—they love that shit. They just oh, love having old people bicker. Who did? Mitch and Robin. We got to get Mitch and Robin to come on the show. I got to talk to them. I miss them. Those were my. Those were my two. I. You know. They were my favorites, too. I mean... When we were working on the show, they were beaming down from another planet. Yeah. They're my favorite writers on the show. I mean, I, I loved Terry, too. And, you know, and of course, David, for me, was... was uh, He was everything. But, um, yeah, I loved... I loved Mitch and Robin. I also loved them because I would... I remember... These are two of the big writers on the show, um, people out there listening. But um, I was so painfully shy... That I would hide at any party, um, and me and my boyfriend at the time, Mike, we would we would get pretty, you know, hammered on our own in a corner, away from everybody else. Um, that's not to say we would get hammered. I'm sorry, we would get buzzed, and then everyone who was hammered would make their way towards us towards the end of the night, and somehow we would end up hosting the like late night hang, and Robin and Mitch were always a part of that late night hang and they would always find their way to us at the end of the night and, yeah and they were older and they were a couple that that wrote for the show they were two of the main writers and um i remember those times they were really special times i loved it because we were ki- i was a kid you know i would love to have them on talking about wrote all this. For rolling stone she was the first female writer for rolling stone magazine i think no. Robin was? Yeah. Oh, now we got to get her on. She was there at like the inception of Rolling Stone magazine. I didn't know that. They ended up moving to New York after this. I mean, they they changed, they uplifted their whole lives. They they loved it. They were California folks. They moved to New York. I remember being at that restaurant Pearl, which is one of my favorite restaurants in New York. Um, it's a lobster roll place. And I would see them every single, like, once a week, they would walk in there, and I would get to see them. So they were one of the only people from the show that 20 years later I would still see. And they created Blue Bloods after that. Yes, that's right. Oh, wow. They're my favorite writers on the show. Anyways. Get them on. Get them on, Dre. Do it. Well, I'll, I'll get in touch with those guys. <laughs> um, we're still we're still trying to figure out how we're doing this just on our own, Chris. And we've had I so know. many guests so far, and I thought it was I just going to be you and me. It's- 
Listen, it's fun once in a while to have having some, you check some new in blood. is like just us being alone because it does it's no pressure. But sometimes it gets a little scary if we have a guest because we have to make sure that you know we're keeping to our format and we're doing oh our thing God. and you know we're still finding our voice. This is all new for us, all you guys and girls out there. Um, anyway, so where yeah. are we now? We're at the Kuzumano Yard again, and, and the chair realizes. is empty. Um, is that a callback? Do you think that's a callback to where? They look at that like Hockney esque painting. Um, oh yeah, earlier the f- where the chair is empty. The 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 uh, the painting that he's analyzing. I think it's like at, in show two, Irina's right? Apartment. Or three? I think it's in Irina's apartment. I think is that mm-hmm. symbolizing some sort of emptiness, a departure of some kind? I don't know. You know, these are the things I always think about. And then we cut to the Soprano House. No, and- with <clears throat> the Soprano House. Kuzumano's backyard. Oh, is well, he, he in could, the, is he in the house? Well, he confirms that not that she wasn't that there was nobody there, and that it wasn't real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes into the house and talks to Carmela about it, and she's like, you know, yeah, you fucking <laughs> crazy. If I wasn't mad at you now, <laughs> I don't know what she says there. I don't have a quote for that one, guys. I, no quote. I think she said something like. I don't like I'm not having this conversation like I'm just done like she was just like I've talked long enough about this because I think he's talking about this hot girl next door I'm assuming yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I forget exactly what she says too but it's like if I wasn't mad at you already I am now totally or actually he says that to Melfi because he calls Melfi on the phone and he goes if she wasn't mad at me now you gotta if she wasn't mad at me then you gotta see her fucking now or some shit like that so uh He's he he basically takes himself off lithium. Melfi no, says, Melfi does. Melfi well, says, Melfi says, I took you. Um, you should get off it. He's like, Are you kidding me? I threw it in the garbage. Yeah, I threw it in the garbage yesterday. Or oh, last he night. said that himself. Okay, okay. Yeah, she's like, Discontinue the lithium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still a thing? I wonder. Lithium. Do people take that? Yes. Hmm. Oh yeah. They do. That's a thing. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a heavy it's a heavy one, man. Anyway, she, this is why this episode is so self-explanatory. Melfi lays it out. There's nothing for us to guess, think about. Um, she says, why now? A fantasy of, of a loving woman. Um, your mother always talks about infanticide. So it's clear. It's as clear as day what we're dealing with. And she says, how are you feeling now? And he says, when I find out who took a shot at me, I'll feel a whole lot better. And then yeah. boom. What song? What song comes in there? That's I feel free. What is the first line of the, the song? Creeps. When I when I dance with you, we move like the sea. When I dance with you, <laughs> we move like the sea, which is a to- the total opposite of Tiny Tears and Tinder Sticks. And going back to what Chris said, um, we've added a new segment to the show, everybody, and that is the music segment. We will always go over the music. But as as Chicken said, not Chris, earlier on. I think the music does do a lot of the heavy lifting in this episode. Um, And I did write down in my crazy notebook, if you guys can see my notes, see that? (laughs) Um, The lyrics to Tiny Tears, uh, it says, you've been lying in bed for a week now, wondering how long it will take. Tiny, And then I'm jumping around. I'm not giving you all the lyrics in a row. Um, Tiny tears make up an ocean, make up the sea, as opposed to when I dance with you, we move like the sea, which is how the episode ends, right? Um, mm-hmm. I know. I thought that was kind of cool. And then it says in back into Tiny Tears by the Tinder Sticks, how can you hurt someone so much you're supposed to care for? 
fucking your mother is trying to kill you your uncle is trying to kill you so those were some poignant lyrics i thought in that song aside from the fact that that song everybody that's listening to this should go download it today it's really a great song and i will continue to promote certain songs from the show that i think are amazing because if anybody knows chris and i we're we're super music freaks um the creams the (laughs) (laughs) creams Oh my god! People are gonna be like, she is not a music freak anymore. (laughs) If I wasn't in love with you, then I'm more in love with you now. Thank you. I mean, I want to bite your fucking face so hard right now. Everybody, please go look up. It's like I feel free. It's like when black by the creams. (laughs) I love you. It's like blackjack can't stop talking about paintball, and he keeps saying, "I need to get a 55." collaborator gun 55 collaborator bullets and and bamba's like don't correct him don't correct him no. just leave it but he now knows that it's caliber but he knows that we like when he, he says collaborator so he keeps saying collaborator and chris you're it. like you're like my blackjack right oh great i'm like a i'm a <laughs> my baby right now you're my rock and roll okay. baby i'll be okay, your I'm rock sorry. and roll baby okay i like that um, rock and roll baby you're my okay. rock and roll baby so anyway isabella um in the restaurant um there were t- i found two Two notes on this online that it was called Milonga de Angel, which means um, it's a dance of an angel, a Brazilian dance of an angel. Milonga is a Brazilian dance. That would be by Al um, Demiola. And it's a really beautiful guitar piece. And other people are saying that the name of the song was Lagrima by Francesco Tarega, who is another Spanish guitar player. But Milonga de uh, Angel, I I think... um, Lagrima, if it is that, means tears, which we're dealing with tiny teardrops, tinder sticks, blah, blah, blah. And then Milonga the angel is, she was an angel. This woman's an angel. And he's sitting there at dinner with her in the restaurant. And I think it starts at the pharmacy and goes on. So anyway, there's that. Then um, there's the scene where Tony is driving and Chris is following. That song is called Cry by Thornetta Davis and it's really awesome and it's off her Sunday morning music album and the lyrics and I'm going to jump around I'm not going to give you the whole song but it says put me in the ground dry my eyes cover me with your empty words turn and walk away another mother cries for another lost child nothing reveals the games you play I try to wipe my eyes and push away the pain. I try to lie still through the same old game. This emptiness inside <laughs> is driving me insane. Wow. I mean, yeah. Chris, when you said heavy lifting. Right there. I yeah. mean, Thornetta Davis lifted the whole episode up. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I know. So I wonder how much, I mean, the music supervisors were, were Martin Bruce Lee. And yeah. And um, who was, who else? I mean, I always dealt with Gianna also, who was there. Yeah. I don't know if she was dealing with music. David was so involved. He was, he was so hands-on. Yeah. But Martin deserves a lot of credit. He really does. Were they the, was he the music supervisor or just the, edit, the editing producer? Martin was the music supervisor. Well, he was the music, because he also did all my editing too. I mean, all my ADR. Yes, that's right. But Martin was the music supervisor. He was. And I guess Stevie did a lot, mm-hmm. which his song is going to be featured ne- in next week's episode. And that's another one of my huge favorites. Anyways, um, then another song that's playing when my boyfriend Donnie shows up in his fucking <laughs> Trans Am. 
I was like, I got to hear what kind of song he's playing. And he's actually listening to Garbage, um, the song Temptation Waits. I heard a crazy noise behind me, and it was my dog scratching his balls. I thought something crazy was happening. Um, anyway, Temptation Waits. And it says um, in the song, some of the lyrics are, there's so much at stake. And if we remember what's going on with Junior in that car, some of the lyrics are, there's so much at stake. I'll tell you something. I'm a demon. Some say my biggest weakness is my biggest weakness. I have I have my reasons. Call it my defense. I'm waiting for my moment. So you know this is all juniors. You know if we're really reading into things on yeah. that level, which we may not be, but maybe we are. Um, he says when I'm uh, when I'm not sure what I'm living for, not sure who I am. What am I looking for? I'm done. I'm <laughs> fucking finished. The creams. The- the cream. The cream. All right. Stunad's Guide to Mob Lingo. Ubats. We've already went over that. Um, can, we make, can we see if Chicken knows how to say the word Ubats? I don't. No, I'm hey. not going to do that. Come on, Chicken. Uh, he's not. You he's fucking say it. He's been a chicken. <gasps> okay. Anyway, who got whacked? Ubats. Who got whacked, Dre? Who got whacked? Who got whacked? Tony Soprano almost got whacked. Yes. Donnie, Donnie. my boyfriend. Donnie, Donnie Padu- Padua? Paduana? What is he? Something. Of? Yep. Donnie Padawana. Mikey Palmisi. Mm-hmm. On the and orders of Junior. And then William what? Claiborne. Accidentally shot by his partner in the failed attempt on Tony's life. And then we have Guido Chic. We all, Christopher's hat we all spoke about. The wonderful fishing hat with all the utensils hanging from it. <laughs> yeah. And then his, and then that turquoise, the turquoise suit, man. I'm telling you, there's something about that choice where I think they wanted her to look like royalty of some kind. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why I want to go there. I think the color blue is deliberate. I think that um, it's, it's, it's the color of, you know, you, you see, I mean, the, the, the Madonna wear, wears blue all the time. Mary always has on her the blue gown and a lot of images um, there's something about that and, and the way it's tailored, it's not a very, you know, um, Italian American Guido y kind of look. It's very waspy almost. It looks very mm-hmm. English. Yeah. It, it also could be just spitballing. Tony could be seeing her as an authority figure, like a cop there. Like she's chasing him yeah. away from the window. She's telling him what to look at, you know, like that's the way he sees Carmela a lot, I think. Yes, like the warden. She wears the pants in Oz. Let's let's take it all the way around. She's Edie Falco from Oz, everybody. Uh-huh. What was what was Paulie and Silvio's deal with? I mean, what that look when they showed up at the hospital and AJ says, like, what are they wearing? I mean, were they matching? I couldn't really see. They had this weird suit thing, right? He said they look weird, right? Yeah. They said that they did yeah. comment on that. I didn't understand that choice. I think it's more their demeanor and the way they walk in and the whole vibe of it. I don't even think it was of clothing. But maybe the fact that they do, as my dad used to call them, and I can say this because I'm an Italian, but he would, you know, call them zips. (laughs) Zips? What's that? I don't know. Just when you're all zipped up, I guess. Like you got your suit on. Everything is very, um, very tight and buttoned up. Yeah. Okay. Dapper. Dapper Dons. They look like Dapper Dons. Dapper Dons. Yeah. Um, what's um, on the what menu else? at Vesuvio's? Not much. Not much. No much not much food in this episode because Livia's too busy trying to kill her son. 
Um, but she does manage to shove some gabagool in her mouth while yes. uh, while she pretends to forget who her granddaughter is. And Isabella has the heroes that you don't want to eat these. Yes. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what the choice was for the hero, by the way. He takes her, he goes, and he says to her, you don't want to eat that. Meaning like that's not good food. Yeah. And then he takes her to real Italian food. But what, why did she show up with bad food? That's, I, I can't quite figure that out. And what does a hero, I wonder if it has to do with him being his own hero at the end of this episode um, and, and understanding that, you know, because eventually he's going to have to understand that his mother is really trying to kill him. Um, again, yeah. hallucina everything in the hallucination carries some sort of subconscious weight. So um, we need to get Robin and Mitch on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Um, All right. Okay, well, I guess that wraps up this episode, guys. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time and giving us all your little tidbits here and there were great. Thank you, guys. Um, Chris, can we talk about what we're about to do just for two minutes before we, we get off this call? Our quarantine project? We're doing a quarantine project, and I think people will think this is fun at home. Um, because we can't film, production is halted for all you guys. I'm sure you you all know that your all your worlds are halted, but production is not gonna. What what are you hearing, Chris, about production these days? I mean, I, nobody is gonna even start anything until August at the earliest. I know August that soon. I thought that's that sounds pretty early. Yeah, it's starting. Dave, my husband's doing stuff too. Yeah, I I know some producers in New York that show bold because they're in a courtroom and they're going to write it into the thing that everybody's socially distanced in the courtroom mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. Some things will start in August, but that's early. That's really early. Right. What, what are you two doing? I'm curious. What's happening? Chris has been writing a little, will you explain it, Chris? Um, well, we started out just doing uh, this, this little project about um, how people are connecting in quarantine and somehow it took a really weird left turn and Dre's going to play somebody who's, my story took a left turn. Yeah, that's what I mean. Your story yeah. took a real left always. turn. Always. I mean, always. Somebody who is uh, possessed in her own house by the spirit of um, a long dead actress uh, named Ginger DeCasper, who, of course, we named after Ginger. But yeah, it's going to be really fun, I think. And I actually live in a house that is haunted by the ghost of the original owner. So when Chris told me that that was his idea, he had no idea. I, I had no idea. That I live in one of those homes. So Amazing. the whole idea. And I think, I think honestly, I've been a little scared to shoot it because of, my, of the way my mind works. Anybody who knows me knows that my mind can go into the recesses of, of anyone else's mind. I can go into the recesses of your mind if you allow me. So it's hard for me to, to play anything that, that, that could take me into a place that might really rattle me, especially in my own home. And if I'm playing someone who's haunted by the, the spirit of the house. Um, so anyway, the quarantine... The whole premise for the quarantine um, was going to be that you don't know if you're actually going mad in your own home or if you are actually um, becoming possessed by the, the by your home um, and by the people in your home. So we'll raise that question. That, I think that's where Chris was like, we took a major turn because I do, I end up twisting and turning. I'm like, how about if we do this? And what if we do that? Because I'm always, I'm always looking for the symbolism and everything and how to... So much better. Um, but we haven't started shooting yet. My my people in my home at time to time are making me feel like I'm possessed. So, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> so there. Yeah. Um, 
lost their minds at one time or another. Yeah, there you go. So I think everybody yeah. could relate to that. That's it for today's episode of Made Women. A big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. That's you guys. Please remember to subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And join us next week when we look at episode number 13, I Dream of Jeannie Kuzamano, where we'll see Tony make his move on Jimmy Altieri, but also learn that Junior and Livia were responsible for the attempt on his life. And Tony decides to settle all family business despite an offer from the FBI that would protect him. Um, all that and more next week on Made Women. Until then, see you on the turnpike. I no? will punch your face. Hit I love it. Subscribe it and like if you do like it. I think you might. Go ahead. <laughs> subscribe I like for you, free. Chris. Thanks, um, Chris. Made Women is a Calvary Audio production, produced by Brandon Morgan and co-produced by Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Bernetti. Executive produced by Dre DiMatteo and Chris Kushner. Edited by Podlit.